Hey, everybody. Um, welcome back to um, episode three of Iron and Soul podcast. I am here with um, my really, 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 really good friend, Drew Sellers. Um, we met, oh, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago. And he um, has been a huge influence in my life and has done some really amazing things in his short um, but awesome life. He currently resides in Austin, Texas, and is the um, Vice President of Operations at One More Cloud, Inc. And we're going to um, have some conversations about some cool shit. So, hey, welcome, Drew. Hey, Josh. How's it going? Pretty good. How's, how's your day so far? Uh, it's, it's a nice, crisp day here. So I'm loving it. Coffee's, the coffee's hot and the weather's cool. Oh, man. My, the weather here is... Uh, cool and my coffee's cool so i only drink iced coffee most of the time so that's that's the that's the gig the reese household it's a good gig i mean that's yeah. where i learned about cold coffee was from the reese household that's right hey I, I need to tell our one listener that um we are doing this on a zoom recording meaning zoom meeting not my zoom um podcast recorder so um, it'll sound a little different for that one listener that we have out there. So just wanted to um, say we're trying something new since Drew Drewski lives in Austin, Texas and can't make it. So so how are you handling the uh, the apocalypse? You know, if, if I'm honest, it's kind of the SSDD. It's the same stuff. It's just a different day. Since I yeah. work from home uh, and I'm a bit of a workaholic, uh, other than having to wait in the line to go to the grocery store and not being able to go to Barton Springs, it's not incredibly different. So what do you mean you have to wait in a line for the grocery store? So in Austin, Texas, uh, they're really limiting the number of people that can go into a grocery store at any one time. So sometimes when I go to the grocery store for something that feels like it should be a 10 or a little run turns into in a half hour or 45 minutes, depending on how long the wait to get into the grocery store is. Well, we haven't, they, they've, um, they've said here that they're limiting the number of people that can be in the grocery store, but I've yet in Lawrence to have to wait in line to go to the grocery store. So that, yeah, the, uh, and the, the kind of the nicer the grocery store, the longer the wait. So I've been, I've been going to kind of like, um, the high V equivalent for me down here, okay. which is HEB, which has, okay. uh, it's a, they're just bigger stores. So they're letting more people in. Okay. Um, so nothing's really changed for you. You still, you still get to work and do it from home. And yeah, so I work from home. Uh, I work for kind of an IT company and for us, mm -hmm. business is actually up a little bit. So we help out other applications and are on the web specifically with finding content inside of their own uh, websites. So with all of the people coming online, doing online things, we're seeing a lot, we're seeing a big uptick in usage, which turns into an uptick in demand for our services. Oh, that's cool. So um, once again, for our one listener, I'll probably, Drew loves to use um, big words and um, technical language. So I will um, always ask him, what does that mean to the um, to me, jo meaning Josh, because I don't know shit about shit when he's talking about his um, computer language. So I may stop him and say, what does that mean? 
So just just FYI, listeners, so you can understand it. So so tell us a little bit, um, Drew, about first, how did you get into? Because okay, here's a little history. So when at, from the Reese family, whenever we have a serious computer issue or a technology issue, who do we call or text? We text Drew. <laughs> I mean, from from our middle kid to Jill to me, when we ever have an issue, it's he's our go-to person. So with that said, how did you get into the world of tech and, and where you are now? So let's see. Uh, from an... I would say that I got started with uh, computers specifically when my uncle Lee uh, got his first computer and we were, you know, my cousins and my uncle Lee, who's only a few years older than me, were into video games. And when he got his first computer, that was like a new kind of thing of video games. And that's where I, I feel like I got my first exposure to them. Uh, okay. being, being one of those like younger uncles, you end up looking up to him. So, you know, computers were always kind of in this like high regard for me. I was already like a Lego kid. So I was already into building things and the joy that comes from, you know, kind of making some something with your imagination. And I think when I was, I don't know, middle school, I got my first computer. And then the thing that really did it for me if I go back is in high school, I was in a role-playing group and we were playing this just terrible uh, system called role master. And it required you to do like all of this math to calculate, you know, how cool your character was. I got tired of doing it repetitively. And so I sat down with my, the computer my mom got me 386 DX four megabytes of Ram. This thing was a beast and learned Excel pretty much. Taught myself Excel oh. to do all of these calculations so that I could just type like, oh, my strengths now are five and my, my, my intelligence is a six. And then all of these like downstream calculations would just get done. Okay, so um, give us, so would that, was that like 95, 96? No, this would have been, I graduated high school in 97. 97 so this, okay. Yeah, 94, 95, that does sound right okay. now that I'm okay. doing the math. Okay. So computers really, at that point, for um, the regular person, were just getting into people's hands in the sense of um, using them on a, like, um, more than just a word processor. Would you say Correct. that's true? Yeah. The, inter yeah, the was, internet was getting was more popular. Special. Yeah. So, I mean, this was, I think, my first modem was a 14.4 which was a long time ago you know that was a like 14 what we call kilobytes and now we're you know my friends now have one gig internet connection so that's that's like a factor of a thousand more right. it's just so much faster like right. i download a song while i'm at a stoplight and i used to wait for i used to wait like days to download a song. Um, but yeah, so we were, I think I was one of the first ones in my peer group to get a computer. Didn't really know what it was. You know, I was like, it was interesting, but
but I kind of played games on it, but then I'd go back to my console. Um, but I became familiar with it and it was, you know, it was something to learn. And I really like that process of learning and getting that little endorphin hit every time I like crack a puzzle. Okay. So from there, what, 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 what was your passion about that? Like, was it the cracking the puzzle? Was it, what was the, what was the driving force in, in staying connected with computers? So they always kind of came easily to me. It wasn't something I had to struggle with. And I went down a big like Photoshopping path in college and learning about like fonts and how like a font breaks down and the different, all the nomenclature around fonts, which I found really interesting how terminology from like the 1800s still had an impact in 2000, in, in the 2000s. You know, we still talk about an M dash versus an N dash, which is if you've ever seen a dash that's like longer than you're used to, that's probably the M dash because it's the width of an M versus okay. the N dash, which we're more accustomed to, which is the width of an N. So I was always, I thought that was kind of cool, but I took a class in college at Baker University with Dr. McCarthy. And it was kind of, I kind of took it almost as a throwaway class. It was intro to web design. And it was where they taught us the super basics of how to build a website and learning about HTML. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where he's like, okay, and he's really just like leading you by the nose, type this here, type this here, you know, take the file, open it in internet Explorer and you'll see your name. And, and sure enough, there was my name. And then it was one of those things where he's like, okay, now type this and this and bam, now my name was in bold. And I just thought this was the coolest thing ever. I went back home after class. I must have stayed up till two or 3 a.m. at night just Googling everything about HTML. And I came in, I came back to class and I had my, I had like, I had like done everything I had. I mean, if you go back to the, the dark days of the web, I mean, I had like the, the, site under construction gif with the guy like shoveling <laughs> stuff i had it was like a i thought the background of the website was the color one two three four five six which was this like nice slate blue i had just done everything that i could think of and that i could research in one night and i came back and i showed my professor so i you, was about as happy as i could be so you nerded and, out oh big time big yeah your time yeah okay so was that would you say would you say at that moment or um, maybe if you could, if you could sit there and reflect for a second, would you say that, that you, at that moment there was a passion there for that, that you found some type of like, I don't know, I guess passion's the word, um, love, whatever you want to call from that thing. Absolutely. Okay. So, and you know, I came back to my professor and I showed him this thing and, and he was like, well, you're done with the class. Like you just did all nine weeks in one night. <laughs> of course you did. But I, you know, this like all just seemed so easy to me. So it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm going to continue to go to school for business. And I'm going to, I'm clearly like, I can teach myself this other thing. Like, I love this. Like I, there's a passion and a drive, okay, but I so need like a real degree. What is, what is your, um, so what did you study at Baker? 
I studied international business and economics with a focus okay. on the uh, industrial organization, which is the economic study of why companies form. And okay. that has proven to be a really passionate interest of mine as well. And I've, so now if, you know, now that I'm 41, if someone was to ask like, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about the, uh, the formation of companies and how they're structured and like how you choose to like build out a company and what that does to its underlying technical or just business systems is the thing that I, I just, I love, I love the manifestation of an entrepreneur's mind and how they see the organization of their business. And then how does that reflect in their human systems all the way down to their technical systems? So are you currently doing shit like that now? Or is that, is that um, still like a side gig? Like you're well, not side gigs, not the right word. Um, like that's what you're interested in, but you're not doing. So this, that's one of the reasons I took my current role is this, I work for a small company. We're about 10 people and the, the CEO, I met him, it would have been four years ago now. And when we originally met, he had been talking to a friend of mine. He's like, man, I need, I need to talk to somebody about like business stuff, you know, that understands technology. And my, and my good friend, Ryan was like, I got a guy, but I mean, I'll give you his number, but he's going to call you like all the effing time. And so <laughs> my now boss, Nick was like, well, maybe not just yet. <laughs> and you know, some time went by and at one point he goes back to my friend, Ryan, and he says, okay, I'm ready. So Ryan's, you know, hooks the two of us up and we start meeting for coffee, like, I don't know, once a month, you know, he's, he's got a wife, he's got a, you know, he's running a company. I'm over here like every Saturday, Hey, you want to go get coffee and talk about business and technology? That sounds really amazing to me. We could do some more of that. You know, we could do it for breakfast and we could do it for lunch. We could do it for coffee. Um, but we ended up meeting, like say once a month. And we just, we would go all over the board of like how to build a company and how to keep the company humane. And, you know, how does technology play into that? About a year after we first met, uh, I joined on as his kind of second in command and have had a blast ever since as the two of us are kind of taking this company to the next level and thinking about how do we build it? How do we build a company that we want, that we love to work for? That's okay. not so like said, a job. So you said something interesting um, a few few sentences ago. Um, building something humane. So let's let's tell me what what that means, right? Like when we're talking about building a humane company and leadership, and then and then let's talk a little bit about like where have you been in your career where you ha in a where you're working where you don't see humane a humane company or a humane leadership or whatever you're going to define for us. So you can make our one listener understand what that is and educate me on what, what hum, uh, a humane company or whatever the thing you're going to tell me, but we need, what I want is examples of what it, what it, what it doesn't look like that you've been in and what you're currently trying to go towards. Absolutely. I've been pretty lucky in terms of the jobs that I've had, uh, my first real programming okay. gig. So define humane, humane for us. What, what is that? Tell us what that is first so we can under, so I can understand where you're going. 
Uh, a humane company is one that sees the people as people and not as resources. Not a, not we, a butt in a chair? Not a butt in a chair. Definitely not a butt in a chair. We, I find it interesting how much the impact of early industrialization continues to have on the way companies are formed. Prior I've, to, uh-huh. Go ahead, no, go ahead. So prior to like the unionization, well, before we had the industrialization effect, especially in America, we had largely agrarian population. That was the work. You woke up when the sun got up and you know, you worked the fields and when it was night, you went home and went to bed and you had this like very self-regulated, you know, how hard did you want to work on your farm and how hard did you want to, you know, how much food did you want to eat? It was this very like independent, rugged process that was extremely humane. And we had a tight knit, we had small communities. Well, that works out well, cities get bigger. We start to see the rise of the, uh, the you know, the industrialization. And now we see, you know, there's no rules on like how hard somebody can work and it's a machine shop. And so you just, you could like work people for 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. We then see the rise over the course, you know, we eventually see the rise of things like unions, which then argued for uh, like an eight hour workday. We see the rise of, uh, you know, it used to be that there was six that you worked six days a week and you had Sunday off because that everybody was, you know, super churchy. I'm sure there's actually more complicated reasons, but in the end, you know, we see a little bit of labor pushback and we get a five day workday. We get an eight hour workday, but this was all constructed when the work was, you know, I'm putting this widget on this other widget is this very manual, very low brain power activity. Okay. We still apply that same framework to highly creative mental work. We've all seen the movies. We've all seen the stories of the like genius that works, you know, two hours a day or two hours a week or whatever. Uh, and in the work that we do, especially at my company, which is largely, you know, we're creating new things. We're writing software. It's not an eight hour. You can't focus for eight hours. You know, if you've been a student and you've tried to study for eight hours straight, good luck. It, it just doesn't happen. Right. So how do we respect that? That, you know, we all come with this emotional baggage of this is what a work day is. It's Monday, to Friday, it's eight hours. Uh, that is not what it needs to be, especially in my company. So when I say I want to make a humane company, it's, it's one where people can, maybe they are morning people. And so they need to work in the morning and maybe I have some evening people and they're going to work in the evening. And, you know, maybe they're, they worked really hard and their brains fried and I don't need their butt in the seat. I need them to actually go and blow that stress off so they can come back and give me their best creativity again day after day after day okay so real quick is the rise of that type of thinking right we think about that and i and i think you're an xer right are you still in the x generation okay i'm on the cusp you're on the cusp we we put that type of thinking and working on um, the millennials. Would you say that's correct? Kind of like that 
um, you don't need to be a, an eight to five or you can be a 10 to six or, or a, if you get all your fucking work done between three and six, you're cool. Would you say mm-hmm. that that's kind of what's risen through the millennial generation? I mean, that's what I'm looking to build. That's what I want in a company. Well, yeah, of course, right? You want, your, you want people to, to do their optimal work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and be pushed to, to be as creative as possible and within their freedom of however they get it done. Yeah. Right? Is that what mm-hmm. you say? That's okay. What I'm asking or what I'm saying or what I'm, whatever the fuck I'm talking about is did that is, is the millennial generation, the generation that started to really push that boundary? I mean, I think that they're certainly asking for it. You know, they grew up with parents. You know, if I think about if I had had a kid at 26, then they would be 15, right? They're getting ready to enter the workforce and they've, they've heard their dad tell stories of, there's no need to work this much. You know, there's these, you know, if they heard all this mythos that I have in my head, then they're absolutely going to push for a different story than like my dad would have. Right. But you're, so. but you, but okay. So the, it's interesting because millennials, the millennial generation, and I love, don't, don't get me wrong. One listener. I, I believe the millennials are the saviors of, of, the earth i truly believe that in in what drew one what drew is talking about like redeveloping the work the workforce and how we work i believe that their um their their institution in that revolution and the way that they view the environment blah blah, blah. i go on and on and on but what i'm challenging drew in this this thing is the parents of millennials are the boomers Okay, the boomers are eight to fivers, eight to seveners, the the hard workers, the the most um, uh, what's the word? Uh, made the most money of any generation, right? Um, and they then produced the Xers and the millennials. So. Um, I'm just, I'm struggling with this idea that the boomers, and I'm, I'm trying not to be an asshole here, um, that they influenced um, the, the, their kids by saying, well, you don't have to work as hard. What I think happened is they saw their dad and mom work so hard and work eight to 12 hour days, maybe two jobs, whatever. And they said, we can do that better and more efficiently in less time. You know, the flip side on that influence could be that we saw our parents working all so hard and we didn't see the joy. And so right, we don't want saying. that for ourselves. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? So let's, let's I, I love to tell stories about myself and talk a little bit about as we, as I, this is what my third episode. So putting a little bit of, starting to put a little bit of my um, journey story in here is that what you're talking about, about um, passion and doing something you love, but, but not necessarily doing it for 10 hours a day or eight hours a day, or that in that natural um, 
or that old style, right? I didn't figure that shit out until fucking October of 2019. All right? No, 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 no. October or November. I can't remember exactly. I, I had a light bulb moment. Um, I was walking out of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I just had this fucking blast of a session, just got destroyed, ego checked, all that shit. And, and I was off work. I don't know. There's some interesting things I'll go into at some point. Drew knows them. But um, I wasn't working or something. I can't remember what was going on. Um, and I said, why can't, why can't I do jiu-jitsu and why can't I work less? Not work less hard, but why can't I work less and be happy and, and make more money? right? Not that the end goal is make more money, but I can do things differently. So I'm hearing what you're saying, but I didn't fucking get it until six months ago. I'm just, that's just my point. I don't know. What, yeah. You know, so yeah. So how are you manifesting that in the people, your, the company that you're vice president of operations for, and the employees. So how are you how are you cultivating that humane um workforce and and driving that leadership to say, hey buddy, or hey people, I don't care when you get the work done, just get the work done. Yeah. So I think right? the first thing yeah, the, the first thing that we're trying, you know, I don't think we're there yet. Well one place that I know that we're there is there's, you know, we have we have team members who have kids uh we have team members who have you know personal things they have to deal with and if it's 2 p.m and somebody says hey i gotta check out for the day because my kid needs to go to the doctor because my kids are home or because whatever like there's it's like cool we'll see you tomorrow there's no well what is it you got to do is it really that important there's no second guessing everybody is just immediately like cool what do you have open? How can I take that off of your plate? You know, how can I make it so that you can leave and go about doing this? Because I know you'll make it up or we also, um, a lot, some of our team has to wear a pager. So there's times when we have to wake up in the middle of the night to assist our customers. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, you're just not expected to be there the next day. It's like, yeah, you had to wake up at 2 a.m. and help a customer for three hours. Like that was your work for the day. You're good. We'll see you tomorrow. Man, that's really awesome. Yeah, really, it is. Really... It's, I don't think I would have done it on my own. I, you know, my, my CEO, this is one of the things that he does really well. He puts his people over like the profit of the company time and time again. And it's been in, I always, I already thought I was going for like the best company possible, but I, when I compare myself to him, I can see that, you know, he's quicker to lose a dollar to benefit his uh, employees than I am. That's, that, that's, that's so fantastic because I've worked, what's interesting is you work in um, the tech industry and I have spent the majority of my professional career, which isn't very long, but almost 10 years in the behavioral health field. And the behavioral health field has not is just getting breaking that um, membrane of where you guys are already at like 
taking care of the employees will get them a better outcome. What we do to the behavioral health worker or the doctor or the nurse or whatever, the helper is work them to the bone, right? So they're up mm -hmm. all night covering a shift and then they're expected to, to come in the next day too, right? Or they take crisis calls in the middle of the night and they're still supposed to be at their job at 9 a.m. And so it's, it's, I think there's, we're starting in, this, in the field to think about things differently, but I've spent many years where I was up in the middle of the night and then ex still expected to be at work at 8 a.m. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think I'm, that's really neat to hear about your CEO and taking the, the person first before the dollar. Yes. And the, uh, you know, we just, we, for me, the way that I try to, you know, bring it into my mind is I want to come up with, you know, here is some number, right? We might call it a KPI or a key performance indicator. You know, here's a number. And as long as you're meeting this number, then, then you're good. I'm not going to try to squeeze you for that number plus plus. I just, I just want this number. And as long as you're meeting this number, then everything's great. You know, everything's happy. Everything in the company is healthy. And then ultimately we meet in person twice a year. And we kind of like, as a team, we decide, is this number still acceptable? Or have we gotten better? Have we gotten more efficient? Should we bump the number up? Or have things changed in the environment? Such as, you know, we're in the middle of the, you know, this coronavirus, especially those first two weeks. You know, it was pretty much, hey guys, as long as support tickets are getting answered, then we're good. Like, I'm not expecting you to like invent new things right now because we're all trying to like wrap our head around this new change. We have parents who now have to homeschool. We have a new, we have, we have some parents who have new kids and now they, you know, now they're thinking like, well, can I even take my kid out of my house? And it was really nice to have the CEO basically come on and say, Hey, as long as our customers are taken care of, we're good to go. Like we don't need to, you know, now is not the time to try to like work 80 hours a week, unless that's how you're just going to choose to cope with this. Right. Right. Um, with this particular thing. Another thing that the, that we've done that's from a humane perspective, that's really above and beyond is we, we recognize that mental health is an important aspect of, you know, being a, a human in 2020. So we cover uh, up to a hundred dollars of a monthly uh, therapist visit nice. so that everybody can just, you know, if you're not dealing with your inner emotions, with your inner drama, um, we do, we do the same thing for a gym. You know, if you're, if you're getting your stress out at the gym and you're getting your mental stress out with your therapist and you, you know, you can come as a more complete person to work. That's right. That's right. So that's, that is crazy. That is so cool that you're, that you that you work for a company like that. Um, and super, I think what is really interesting, because I don't think your company's um, the only one doing that. Like I hear about a lot of um, tech companies that do a lot of um, uh, things like that, incentives, right? Mm -hmm. Because because 
I think what tech people, and I'm just, I'm shooting from the fucking hip here. I think what tech people, and is that the right term? Do, do I say tech people? I don't, I don't know. I want to make sure I Works for me. don't label people um, in the wrong way and, and offend the one listener that we have. Um, <laughs> is that I think tech people see things from a systems perspective. I mean, I think they constantly look at things as a systems perspective, right? And, and efficiency, right? So if, if you look at that and you understand the body and, you know, the, the, the health and mental health and all of that, if that house is in order, that system's running well, then they're going to get optimum work from their, from their people, right? That means, yeah. that means mental health, um, physical health, and even, you know, work-life balance, right? Like what you were saying, like, hey, I've got a kid's doctor's appointment. All right, go home take care that we got you, right? Because that's mm -hmm. incentive to say, I work for a company that's going to take care of me. So then I'm going to come back the next day and put in even more. So I think that, that I think that you guys are, that you guys are seeing things um, once again, ahead of the curve, right? Tech, tech stuff is usually ahead of the curve of everything, right? But you're seeing people as uh, people. It can be. It can be, right? Um, so that's pretty cool. I mean, from, from the quote tech person's perspective, from the perspective of a company that's got a lot of tech people, the, if I was going to be a cynic for a mm -hmm. second, when you have uh, a workforce, software developers, tech people, when you have a workforce that can command what I'm going to, I'm going to use the term obscenely high salary. It, it, you know, it boggles my mind that you can go to a coding boot camp, call it an eight week coding boot camp, and you can come out and you can make high five figures right out of that. The, the demand for software development is, is so stupid high that people are coming out of, you know, eight week programs making $80,000 a year. Jesus. Blows my mind. Right. So now as you get, so when you're looking at that workforce and you're looking at how much that workforce can cost you and how much value they can then bring a company, especially a software company, you can easily go like down one of two dark, dark ways. You can go down this dark path of, I'm going to get you laundry service and I'm going to get you food because I don't want you to leave your desk, right? Like, I want, I want to suck every ounce of value out of you. And you'll see tech companies that are like that. The gaming companies are super notorious for, for 12 hour work shifts and death marches to get the game done. The, but then you can also get this other side where you have, you know, people who are studying systems who are, you know, ha who have experienced the concept of, I was just hyper productive for two to three hours and now my brain's kind of done. So why would I expect that from anybody else? Right. That's because wow. our leader, because our leader is an IT person versus like a business person first. I think that's one of the reasons why we see, you know, the way that his company has rolled out. That's pretty cool. I just, I just really am just really, um, really think that's awesome that he's taking care of you guys 
that way. He or she, I guess, I assume it's a he. It, it um, is a he. Okay. Um, I want to shift gears here real quick because um, there's lots of things that you and I see eye to eye on. Um, what's going on with your cholesterol? Oh, my goodness, man. That's how I got, I mean, you want to talk about journeys. That's how I got started down the fitness journey. Like that's, that's really how we even met. Yeah. Uh, I, I got my first big boy IT job doing software development for a bank. Uh, All right. Yeah. A bank out of okay. Topeka, Kansas. I was living in Lawrence, Kansas at the time. And uh, I, I got insurance for the first time. And so I decided, oh, I should, I feel like I should be a big boy and, you know, go get like a checkup. And so I go do the checkup and I would have been 27. And the doctor's like, so your cholesterol is like real high. Oh, like, like, like what's like, what, how high? Like, like we want to put you on cholesterol drugs at 27. Whoa. And I grew up with um, mom and dad were a little hippy dippy and I love them for it. They were both in the dental field and I didn't have sugar for like, until I went to kindergarten, I hadn't had sugar. And uh, the dentist that my mom worked for was super into Eastern medicine. Um, I was doing acupuncture and massage and uh, phrenology which is the study of the bumps on the head. We would do all kinds of like this crazy kooky stuff, especially in the early eighties. So I got really exposed to the problems of like, how do you as a federal government create dietary standards that work for an entire population versus what's a dietary standard that a human should actually hold themselves accountable to. So I was in, you know, nutrition was always a big part of my life. And I get this call from the doctor who's like, you need to go on drugs. And in my head, like something flipped where it was like, how about I stop eating like shit? How about I stop drinking? And how about I start training? Like, let's try those things before I try drugs. Refat? Yes, I would have been, I probably was around 260 at that time. Jesus. How tall are you? Uh, 5'10". 5'10". Jesus, you were kind of a fatty. Yeah, I think I had... 30, I think at 38 waist, I think I was at 38 waist at the time. Wow. I, I, I'm trying to sit here and think about like what you looked like back then. And I can't, I mean, I, I remember, but I don't remember you looking that heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of how people like they, I never really thought of you as, you know, like, like fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I think I do have maybe a slightly wider frame to kind of disperse it around. Yeah, you probably do. Yep. And you probably hold it. I mean, you're young enough, right? At 27 mm-hmm. to hold it in different places. So it didn't look like you didn't hold it all in your gut, you know? Correct. So, all right, what am I going to do here? Uh, you know, in middle school, I swam. Swimming's supposed to burn a lot of calories, so I start going to the Lawrence Aquatic Center out west of town on my way to work. And I'm like swimming, and that is just the most boring thing I can ever think of, and I just I couldn't do it. So then a fraternity brother of mine that lived in town said, "Hey, uh, the Lawrence Athletic Club (LAC) 
is has a two for one. So I, I sign up for that. And that was comical. Like I, I, I've never been in a weight room. You know, I don't know what to do. Neither does my buddy Aaron. And we're just stumbling around and doing the best that we can. So that fades because neither of us are super into it, nor do we know what we're doing. It's, you know, it's like, it's embarrassing. So that goes away for a bit. Uh, at this job, I've been at this job for a bit now, and I meet uh, a, a, a co-friend of ours who's Jim Sowers. And Jim says, hey, I've got this group of people at this coffee shop, you should come hang out, uh, which is the Slacker group at La Prima Taza. And this is, you know, through, through stories, you know, I kind of hear about Josh, and then somehow I hear that he's running running, getting ready to run a marathon at the time. And, you know, I know he goes to the gym. So, you know, this is, you know, young Drew, like timidly walks up to, to Josh and is like, Hey, like, can I train with you? Will you like show me how to go to the gym? And at some point I wore him down and he said, yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't, maybe I don't remember it that way, but, um, Okay, I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let you have that one. I mean, I don't know how much of a wear down it was. He, you may have been very, very accepting, but uh, but I loved it because he was like, "All right, well, you can train with me, but I train at four thirty a.m. because that's <laughs> when I can do it." And I'm just like, "All right, sold." <laughs> that's true. Yep. So, uh, got started down the train because I'm trying to like battle this cholesterol. So. I end up losing a fair bit of weight and I get like a lot of confidence and I get a lot of strength. Um, everything's coming up Millhouse, So that's going well. And then fast forward to moving to Austin and getting into the CrossFit scene and like really taking it up to the next level. I, I got as lean as a, a 160 pounds at I think mm -hmm. seven ounces, 7% body fat. Yeah, you were skinny, and that's, man. That's when Coach said it's time to eat. Yep. Uh, and that proved to be a, a really fun time because I started just slapping on strength PRs just like every week because now I was fueling my body. And I really got to understand the importance of food, the quality of food. You know, it really did start with understanding macronutrients when we did the uh, – what was the diet that we did? Was it the, the zone, zone diet. And I started to zone diet, yep. Yeah started to learn about the macronutrients and really started going down that rabbit hole. I'm still, after all this work, I'm still rocking a mid 400 cholesterol. And for those wow. of you that, for that, for the one listener, you want it to be in the like 200s. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely, it's something I'm still battling with. Um, but I'm working with a really sharp guy and we can, continue to make progress. We continue to like find things and tweak things. Um, so, so why do you think, why is your, why won't your cholesterol move? I, I'm pretty sure it's genetics. The, my father's and my mother's side, they both have um, a lot of cholesterol issues. My, mm -hmm. on my dad's side, um, my grandpa passed away due to heart issues. I have an uncle that passed away due to heart issues. Uh, my grandpa on my other side passed away due to heart, heart issues. It's, you know, bad roll of the dice. So, um, 
but what is your what does your person talk about like because you're you're physically active and you 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 eat well so are you at risk of a heart attack or are you just going to have high cholesterol I'm at risk a little bit. I had a calcium deposit study done on my heart where they CT scan your heart. And mm -hmm. I have the calcification in my heart of someone who's like 15 to 20 years older than I am. Okay. Like they would expect to see that level of cal of, of buildup in, you know, a 60 year old. They would not expect okay. to see that much in a 40 year old. Okay. But I've only had it done once and I had it done when I was 38. So we have no idea. If, you know, I need to go and get another one done now that there's been some time, because if it stays stable, then that calcification is not continuing to build up and I'm solid, you know, because maybe that happened when I was younger. Okay. And I've, I've held it at bay and it's just, it's just still there or something. Um, so I need to go get it done again because I only have this one data point. But that's, so that makes it kind of serious. And I try to talk to, you know, my, my younger family members, my cousins, you know, hey, need to get this stuff dialed in. We know it's an issue in the family. So what point, what point do you have to, do you decide, okay, cause it, cause medication will bring that down, correct? Medication would bring the cholesterol numbers down, but I've, I've talked to two family members that have been on it and they, they cannot stand it. Okay. Meaning what? Uh, it makes them feel weird. You know, the side effects are sometimes just not worth the benefit. Okay. It, you know, in their, in their calculations. And so I'm, I would rather just, you know, eat healthy, stay active. Cause it's so hard to get like, you know, to study a human being and to understand the impacts is just so impossibly hard. Like, how are you going to get a hundred humans to like follow anything, especially when it's related to food, if they're not like locked down in a jail cell. Right. Where you literally control everything. So because there's not a clear picture of exactly what any of this means, all we have is, you know, well, we tend to see these things in people that have heart attacks. Um, we tend to see this in this. And then as I've, started to read some of the research and you look at the people who are in the case studies, like who's in the, the scientific population, you don't oftentimes see studies done on like highly trained athletes. You just, you know, A, they're hard to, it's hard to get enough of them in one area that you can get them to all follow some rule set, especially when it comes to food. So it's one of those things where it's like, am I really going to base the way I live my life on studies that aren't, that don't appropriately represent me? If we know that eating healthier is good for you, cool, done. I love it. I, I, you know, I don't put cheese in my food anymore. I still haven't cut butter out. That's like the last big one I've got to cut out, but I don't use nearly as much as I used to. Okay. And I, you know, I'm feeling healthy. I'm feeling strong. And we're just going to, you know, we're just going to ride it out. We'll see what happens. Well, I like it. I think that that's, I think lifestyle um, is, and exercise and eating healthy is way better than taking any medication. Um, 
I mean, obviously, like there's medications that are good and blah, 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 blah. And we know that lifestyle is what matters. Yeah. You know, truly in, in what you're doing, it's about lifestyle. So a couple of things. Um, are you, so you chose to get into fitness or exercise because of a health issue. Are, do you enjoy exercise and fitness or do you just do it because you're supposed to do it because you're healthy? Does that make sense? Or to be healthy? It does. It does. I, that's something I super struggle with. It is definitely more on the, I need to do it to stay healthy. I have not figured out how to get the same level of like stimulation that I get from like solving a computer problem that I do with fitness. And I have tons of friends who do. And I, I ju it just boggles my mind. Like I cannot wrap my head around it. So I have, you know, like I can, okay, it's Tuesday. Tuesday is the gym day. I go to the gym, I do the process. I feel great afterwards. But it's I'm never like itching to go. Okay. Versus my friends, I have friends who are just like you know, like when can I train again? Mm, interesting. Okay. So you so you do it for maintenance, but you but you enjoy it while you're there. Glad you did it, but you're done and you don't think about it until you have to do it again. Yeah, and I have to be really careful about. It's better if I'm with somebody because it keeps my mind on task. When I go by myself, I'll oftentimes go down these mental rabbit holes and one of two things will happen. Um, if I'm trying to like go on a work day, I'll start to build up a lot of anxiety. Like I need to get to work because I'm a bit of a workaholic. And so mm -hmm. I have to like really coach myself. Nobody's up yet, Drew. It's 5 a.m. No one's up. No, no one's waiting on you. You're fine. Take the extra 10 minutes to do the cool down work. And, and that's a real big struggle for me because I'll, I'll definitely get some pretty big anxiety there. Um, or I'll get an idea and I don't have any way to like write it down or express it. And so I'll just like bail on my workout session to just like go and like fixate on the problem that I've, or the, this thing that I've just encountered in my head. And so sometimes I have to really, uh, let that go and say, Hey, if it's a good idea, it'll come back to me. Okay. Um, why? So what would you tell one of your, um, coworkers or one of your employees if they were doing the same thing you were doing? Right. So like fixating at 5am when you know that they don't have to be in work till 10, right. Nine or 10, cause mm -hmm. they're going to get their shit done. Why, why yeah. can't you take it? Why can't you um, drink your own medicine? And I try, I, I mean, I'll sit there and like, well, I'll have like a little check-in moment with myself and you know, I've gotten better at it over time. It's just, it's still something like I deal with. It's like, Hey, what time is it? Let's do a time check. It's 5 30 AM. Okay. Who's the next person that's going to be up? Who's next? Okay. Maybe it's Christine. What time's Christine going to be online? maybe eight. So that's, you're telling me you got two and a half hours. You can't take 10 more minutes. And the logical side of me sees this very clearly, but the emotional side of me doesn't see it that way and struggles. So 
And then sometimes Mike, I'll, the logic side will overpower the emotional side and I'll stay and I'll do it. And I'm glad that I did it. And I get that little bit of, you know, I get that little reward. And then the next time I go, you know, I've got that little bit of reward that I can bank on again to try to like keep building that up. Okay. So for my, for a coworker, I would just tell them the same thing that I'm telling myself and just hope that it resonates better with them. Right. So why, why'd you get out of CrossFit? So the, for me, I had done CrossFit. uh, It started off, you know, it started off with the two of us when you went and visited your sister. Mm -hmm. And I think you were driving back and you're like, check out this website and, you know, we're going to get this book and we're going to, you know, change up our program. Shout out to Amy Eckerberg for getting us into CrossFit. And, and so, you know, it was a total change of pace. That was super fun. It felt, you know, it made me feel special. I come to Austin. Austin has a big CrossFit scene. Uh, I show up, I had, you know, I had left Lawrence, Kansas where I had, you know, a good social group, but it was a really heavy drinking social group. And so when I came to Austin, like I didn't want that. So I was looking at this gym and started training at the gym. And then I saw that the gym had like an elite gym called red black. And I was like, I want that. Like, that's where I want to be. So I worked with my coach, big Mike and big Mike and I worked really hard and set goals for myself. Um, and then after a year, I transitioned over to Red Black Gym underneath my, underneath then uh, Winchester and trained with Winchester for, gosh, four or five years, followed him through three gyms and was just, I had, I think I had just kind of burnt out my body at the time when I quit, uh, I had got, I was going through a breakup. And it was one of those things where I wasn't seeing a lot of gains at the gym. And so probably because uh, the, the girl I was dating stayed up late, I was a morning person. So I wasn't ever getting a lot of sleep. And then it was kind of stressful as relationships are towards the end. So I just wasn't, I wasn't seeing the gains of it. I was, had been doing it for five years and she was still super into it. So I shifted to a different gym who with, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of the gyms in town. So it was one of those things where I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go over to Atomic Athlete and train with my buddy, Jake and Todd. So switched over to that, had a blast hanging out with them for about a year. And then uh, now I'm just doing uh, hyper, like basic hypertrophy work. And is that and just because you want to do maintenance type of, type of work or what's, what's your goal with, with, that type of working out? When I first started about a year ago, it was how much, you know, can I, can I get bigger? Mm-hmm. And I would say, especially with having been stuck at home for three weeks, I'm just like, you know what? It's not about getting bigger. It's just, I need to stay healthy. I need to keep moving. And I'm starting to set more realistic expectations for my health at, at 41. Okay. So I want to keep lifting. I want to make sure that I can move, that I'm not, you know, I don't want to be feeble. Need to make sure all the muscles are strong and that I'm, you know, mobile so that I can live, uh, you know, a long life. So, so when you were doing CrossFit, you had these goals, right? Of 
of X, Y, and Z, right? Like to get to this mm-hmm. gym, to do this thing, to do this PR, to do this, right? Now yeah. you've shifted to this kind of overall health kind of, I do this because I want good bone density. I don't want my heart to stop, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But yes. how do you, how do you, without um, smaller goals, smaller objectives, or do you have those within what you're doing? Like, I want to get stronger in my bench, or I want to have a stronger squat, or whatever. Do you still have those type of things that you're doing, like a program? I have a program, but my goals now are things like I want to go to the gym three times a week. And if I can go to the gym three times a week, that's a win. I want to make sure I get 12,000 steps every day. So it's definitely much more of a, of a maintenance ideal than it is like a growth ideal. Okay. Cool. That's, that's, uh, that's definitely a change I've, for you. It is. And I've, I've redirected a lot of my energy that I had. Cause when I was doing full bore CrossFit, I definitely felt the downturn in productivity at work. Like ah, coming yeah. into work, being trashed for having done 90 minutes to two hours of CrossFit with the competitive group, you know, it would take me like an hour or two to kind of like boot back up into work. And then I, you know, I would go to bed at, you know, 8 a.m. I mean, 8 p.m. because I had to get up at four. Right. So with this, with, with my new job, I really wanted to lean into this and I really wanted to grow and take this time to learn. And so the vast majority of my energy has gone into uh, working at one more cloud versus, you know, trying to grow as much in the gym as I can. Do you think, um, do you think there could be a, a back to a middle path of um, more fitness due to health, your health stuff? Cause you know what I mean? Like if, if you don't push yourself exercise wise, and I know you're doing a good job with your diet, but if you're just doing maintenance stuff, is that going to be enough to bring your cholesterol down, you know, build muscle, all of that stuff that we know overall is healthy if you're, if you're just doing a maintenance thing? And do you think that your work and stress life will take over because you're not doing as much as you could at the gym or, or, or fitness? Uh, based on what my, you know, the... So I'm working with a gentleman by the name of Dr. House mm-hmm. and he's uh, he has a PhD in nutrition from the university of Texas. And I, I check in with him once or twice a year and his counsel to me has been so far, if you can strength, if you can do resistance based training two to three times a week, hit 12,000 steps and, you know, work to eliminate cheese and, and butter. And if we can get you down to, so my goal is more like, can I get down to 195 pounds? Can I get down to 190 pounds? Um, we're going to rerun cholesterol and see what's going on there. And if that can make, maybe it's that I need to lower my body fat. If I can do that, we're going to, you know, that'll tell us something about how my body is processing the cholesterol. And if that doesn't work, then I'll start to work with uh, a specific lipidologist named, uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now, but there's a a lipidologist that he works with and also is, is it, you know, kind of in that same mindset of he's a gym guy. Um, 
all he does is focus on like cholesterol and he does a lot of remote. He has a lot of remote patients. So oh, I would switch okay. over to trying to solve the cholesterol problem with him. And he's had a lot of success um, with people without using drugs. Okay, great. Okay. So, all right. I feel comfortable with, with you doing that as your friend. <laughs> right you know, on, I worry bro. about I worry about some of that stuff on you, you know, like that you're, you know, but I know that you're doing what you need to do. I trust that. But sometimes I'm like, are you doing enough? Yeah. You know, as far as gym stuff. Absolutely. Okay. So, Hey, um, real quick, we're about, we're about out of time. I've been doing this for a little bit. So tell me a little bit about, um, the trips that you've taken and what you're into kind of passionately about, um, traveling. So t walk me through some of the things that you've done, um, have been pretty fantastic. Like, um, going to base camp, was it base camp of, yeah, of Everest? It was, that was, uh, so it was one of those weird moments where I was, uh, somebody gave me a book to read about Everest and I'm reading this guy talk about Everest and uh, my friend group had been like passing the book around or something. And we're at a friend's birthday party. And I look over at these two guys that I train with, uh, Lupke and, and, and Schrock. I'm like, hey guys, I think I want to go to Everest. And I'm kind of like floating it as a test balloon. Like how crazy am I? Mm. And right. they're both just like, you know, like, oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, one of them at the time couldn't do it. But the other one, Lupke, ended up deciding to, to do this with me. He was looking for some kind of an adventure as well. And it was one of those things where we were like, okay, it's, you know, 2000 whatever would have been, let's call it, I don't know, 2014. In two years, we're going to go. We're going to save up the money and we're going to do this backpacking trip through Everest. And it was definitely one of the cooler experiences that I've done in terms of a, it was, uh, it was shockingly, uh, normal. Like it was extremely commercialized. It was right. not, you know, we had this like, Oh, this, this is going to be like rugged and it's going to be hard. No, it's, I mean, it sucks. It's hard because it's high, but right, there's less oxygen. Yeah. But and we definitely went a harder route because we had more time. Um, literally had the hardest day of my life on that trip. I cannot think of a day harder than when I had to go over the, oh, there was a pass that we did. We started at 5 a.m., started walking up the pass, and we didn't get to the top until I think 1 p.m. And I just remember walking like, you know, you're walking up the side of the mountain and it's gravel. You're just struggle busting for air. And I was in that total state of mantra where it's like, just one more step, just one more step. And I'd yeah, have to take two or three steps. Other. I'd stop and I'd have to breathe and catch my breath. And then I would take three steps and stop and catch my breath. Well, while of course the porter who's carrying 60 extra pounds is, you know, took him like two hours to get up there and he's just like waiting for us. Right. Of course. Uh, but yeah, that was, when I reflect back on when days are hard, I reflect back on that day and, it, and the days don't seem hard anymore. 
but we did that got up to 20,000 feet was a blast took us like two a little over two weeks to get to base camp took us four days to get down (laughs) as an example of the difference um that's right saw some really amazing stuff for sure so when i came back from that trip you know that was one of the i had done a trip to europe before but it was kind of a little more classic europe trip you didn't really necessarily feel like you're outside the united states Uh, but this was definitely foreign and was Mm -hmm. a trip so i think there was another year where i did uh what was it that i did i did so my one of the gyms that i'm that i'm good friends with the atomic athlete gym organized a camp like a we're going to go out into the middle of New Mexico into the wilderness and we're going to learn, you know, I'm going to teach you some like map reading skills and, and how to just generally like camp in a, in a, in a harsher environment. And I didn't really know how to camp. And that was something that my dad and I did. And I really wanted to reconnect with that. Mm -hmm. So I did this trip into New Mexico where it was, we were literally, it was a desert. We had to, like there was like this tiniest trickle of water in a mud bank. And my buddy showed us how we could like build up a little dam and use this tube to get water to come out and it would be clear and you could fill up your water filtration kit and then, you know, clean the water through that and learned all wow, of these like skills around water management. And then it was just nice because like, okay, I got my tent. I set up my tent. This is how you make food. You know, all the like really mundane stuff, but this specific mm-hmm. thing on, on water. Then I did a trip to Costa Rica shortly thereafter, which is a jungle. And I just remember being so blown away by the amount of water that was present. Like right. it was just such a night and day change from that desert of New Mexico. Uh, and then I was, I was really treating myself this year. I went and did skiing with my sister in the mountains and it was a total Another one of these where I'm like, oh man, the world is amazing. Like I did this desert, I did this jungle, and now I'm on top of a mountain and it's snowing. And it was just this, I kept having these surreal experiences of just the beauty of even just the, you know, of just everything. It was a really cool experience. Uh, And then like a year later, I ended up doing a a four-day hike through the Maroon Bells. And I was real nervous. It's, it was my um, first solo trip. Exactly. Solo. That's our one listener. He went solo for four days. And I remember being really anxious about it. And uh, as I'm going through, I remember the first time I saw running water. And I was like, oh, I can pull water out of that. I'm good. I, I can yep. always just walk back here. I can get water. Um, and as I kept going, like I just, my one fear or this one strength I had that I could get water, like just took me through the entire trip. I didn't really ever worry about anything. I knew I could get water. That's and it's awesome. funny how that was like the one thing I needed. Yep. Yep. So um, after the um, apocalypse is over, do you have any trips planned? Yeah. So the, the trip that I'm planning, assuming the apocalypse goes over is I want to hike California's last coast. So in Northern okay. California, there's a region that's so rocky and hard to build on that the uh, 
like the Pacific one highway goes away from the coast. There's like no houses. Cause it's just, it's just too hard to build there. And so there's like 30 mile stretch of coastland in California where there's just nothing. And it's foggy all the time. It looks like I'll be walking in like some kind of like creepy murder movie Nice for some part of this. Um, so that should be two to three days of hiking and it's going to be like on sand. So it's going to really suck. Um, and then there's two or three spots where you have to be attentive to the tides because the tides will come all the way up and oh, if yeah. you're in one of those zones, you're going to get pulled out to sea. Yep. Yep. Or your shit's going to get pulled out to sea. Yeah. So yeah. the, the challenge of that, I mean, you know, all of this stuff is really well known and documented. It's going to be, you know, as long as you're paying attention, this won't be hard. Right. Okay. That sounds, sounds awesome. Sounds really cool. Hey, so but your governor, one. yep. So your governor has decided that you guys get to um, come out of the apocalypse next week. Looks oh, like. really? Yeah. I saw, I saw something yesterday in the news where, um, He's decided next week limited stuff. I think something about retail. Um, you can like order things and from retail shops and they can be open, but they can't go in or something. I don't know. I don't know. So you guys are um, get to come out a little early, I think. Well, we'll, we'll see how it's that changing, plays out for us. Yeah, it's changing day to day right now. So it's pretty strange out there. Um, but I'm I'm ready to get get back to to regularness i'm a little tired of all this yeah i'm ready to get back to the gym you know i have so many friends that own gyms i'm really excited to have them like open back up right i feel yeah. a lot of stress for them and uh i'm ready to go back to the movie theaters if i'm honest I'm oh really movies yeah yeah we have been I getting back it. into going to the movies and and then this kind of definitely i don't know I don't know if it, if it lasts any longer, if movie theaters are going to make it. I've heard some, some different things that um, movie theaters may go the wayside because of this thing. Yeah, I, I think, I don't think that they'll go the wayside if there's a certain amount of like, okay, if this movie theater closes, this is a building that can only be for another movie theater. So if you own the land, you're better off taking like a hit and lowering your rent so that you can keep the movie theater in because when the movie theater then comes back online, they're going to start paying rent again. Yep. But this could be like a global reset on real estate prices. You know, like I'm looking to do in my company, I'm marking down all of my revenue 10% in all my forecasts. I'm planning on a 10% loss eventually. Like at some point I'm going to see a trickle down of this, of this COVID, this Corona, you know, season. Mm -hmm. And I'm fully expecting to lose 10% of my revenue over the course of the next 12 months. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to come. I don't know who it's going to come from, but that's what I'm doing. And if I owned, if I owned property, so I do own a rental and I've been in close contact with my, with my rental agency, like, Hey, do I need to do anything to help out my tenants? Because I can go and get some kind of like abatement from the, from the government. Like I don't need to pay my mortgage if I, if that's something I need to do for my tenants. And so right. far everything's been fine. 
I'm in Austin, more than likely they're a remote worker as well. Um, but, you know, I feel like it's going to be one of those things where we all have to take a gut check and like, look at the human and be like, okay. Because mm-hmm. finding another tenant's expensive. Yep. And you're not going to get the same rate that you got when you signed those people. So you're going to lose money on your month to month anyways, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to have to, maybe I should talk to my, um, my landlord at the tattoo shop and see if he'll lower our rent. Or I'll have Chad do it. Who knows? Yeah. Make Chad do the biz, the biz talking? Yeah, usually. Um, all right, dude. So great, great chatting with you. Great stories. Um, love to have you back on another time and, and talk to you a little bit more about um, some other journey stuff that you and I have been through, but um, we're out of time today. All right. I'd love, I'd love and look forward to it. All right, man. I will let you know when this is. Do you want to um, shoot out anything that um, where people can get a hold of you or talk to you or anything like that? If if they would like to reach out to me, it's my uh, my Twitter handle is Drew Sellers, D R U S E L L E R S, and my website is the same but with a dot com on the end, DrewSellers.com. Right on, brother. All right, you have a great day, and um, we'll chat soon. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Later.